This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. flu has been causing growing concern in recent months, with hundreds of millions of birds around the world dying of bird flu virus since October 2021. And in that time, the latest strain of the virus has made its way to every continent except Australia and Antarctica. Countries in the European Union, as well as the US, are now considering a vaccine. And until now, a lot of countries, including Australia, have been reluctant to a vaccination. So is that all about to change? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt. Your co-host today, Warwick Long, joining you from ABC Shepparton. Was bird flu, it's, it's a term, it's a virus that we know of and we've spoken about a lot over the decades. But this is a virus that could potentially affect us all if it was to come back to Australia. And it's something to keep an eye on, Rochelle. And I know the last thing anyone any one of us wants to do after the last few years is sit down and have a look at the worldwide spread of a virus, right? We've, we've been there, we've done that, we've uh, we've got the shots to prove it kind of thing, right? But bird flu spread is huge and it does affect our economy and our lifestyle and just our planet in a very different way. We're talking about something uh, which has been found to spread to humans, although human-to-human transmission has been uh, very low, and we'll talk about the reasons behind that over this show over the next hour. But it's not just the human health we're talking about here. We're talking about when it gets into chicken flocks, uh, to control an outbreak of bird flu means a lot of those chickens have to die, and that has led to egg shortages on the shelves in North America and the price of things like egg and chicken meat going up really fast. And in times when we've seen the Ukraine war effect our food prices. Yeah. This is another big event that can affect our food price. And then there's your wildlife. We've seen outbreaks in foxes in France, in sea lions in Peru, uh, in all sorts of bird life around the world as well. And when that happens, you're at very real risk of losing, yeah, like you said, those black swans on your lake in the middle of town. Which That's right. And would there's be a horrific. Big, big concern about the black swans if it was to get here. Even backyard chickens is something that we're looking at. It's even stopping Sir David Attenborough for going on one of his latest ventures as well. So this is something that is growing. And as you said, was we're not here to raise alarm. This is just about getting the information. How prepared can we be? What do we need to know? And the other thing that, you know, you would hope wouldn't happen is that sometimes the fear of something can spark change and reactions. So you would hate to see people maybe being afraid to eat eggs or consume eggs or to buy chicken or chicken meat or poultry because of little bits and pieces of information that they've heard and the on-flow effect that that can have for producers as well. So it's about ensuring that we have all of the right information without scaring anybody. Knowledge is power in this area, right? When we saw that with foot and mouth disease coming closer to Australia's borders, that there was a heightened concern about what that could mean with travel to Australia. The government responded with, with greater restrictions. The public responded with better awareness about what that could mean to our economy. Mm. And so far, I'm touching every bit of wood around me in <laughs> yes. the studio here, uh, the, the news has been pretty good for Australia's biosecurity system. We've, we've managed to keep a major disease out. It's a little bit different with bird flu because it travels around the world. So today, again, it's that knowledge. What do we 
uh, know about bird flu? What do we know about this latest spread and what does it mean for us and indeed the animals around the world too? Because as we were saying, foxes, bears, raccoons, minks, skunks, otters have all been found to have bird flu. And as you know, they're not birds. So we've, this is why we need to keep an eye on this disease of spread and, and really what it means for us. And that's what this today is a really good opportunity to do. So how could bird flu potentially affect us all from our health to our economy to the cost and the availability of some meat as well as eggs? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Fans of nature documentaries know the smooth British accent of Sir David Attenborough, but producers had to call off plans for a recent shoot for fear that the 96-year-old biologist and broadcaster would catch bird flu and die. It happened during the filming of a series called Wild Isles. Attenborough was to get up close with small birds named shearwaters. But after avian flu was detected on an island close to where they were filming, they decided to err on the side of caution. And Warwick Long, apparently the word is Attenborough. Okay, it's a very strange, <laughs> strange way to pronounce Sir David Attenborough's title as from some weather channel overseas. But lots of stories have come to the surface in like the last 24, 48 hours about Sir David Attenborough, that this could have potentially been his last on-location documentary where he was following shearwaters. And we know shearwaters very well mm-hmm. here in this state. But they've taken him off out of precaution. They've gone, you know what, this is Sir David Attenborough. So that's another area where it's affecting us. And touch wood, when we're touching wood here, you don't want Sir David Attenborough getting bird flu. This is our human manifestation for many people of our connection to nature, right? This is Sir David Attenborough. And, yeah, the producer's worried. 96-year-old, if he caught bird flu whilst spending so much time with seabirds, where there is a known outbreak happening, particularly on the island next to where they were going to to go filming, uh, it was a real risk to his health and he could potentially die. So, so much to talk about with this. But, yeah, when, when literally the one voice we've seen on nature for our entire lives... Uh, the concern is we better pull him out of an area due to a disease. We should take notice. So how concerned should we be? The Chief Vet of Australia, Dr Mark Ship, Dr Ship, I mean, is this something that here in Victoria we need to be concerned about? We've seen the latest strain arrive in every continent except for Australia and Antarctica. How prepared are authorities and people like yourself at the moment? Uh, so we're... Uh, quite alert to the the risk and for that reason we undertake uh, surveillance of wild birds as they are migrating to Australia. Obviously migratory birds are are one of the the key risks uh, for us and we have very well practiced uh, response arrangements in place and uh, we used those in Victoria in 2020 where we dealt with uh, three outbreaks of uh, high pathogenic uh, avian influenza but we, we continue to re- renew and, and refresh those response arrangements. Yeah, so can you take us back? Oh, well, first things first, can you describe what bird flu is and, and what it does to an animal? Uh, it's an influenza virus, very very similar to human influenza, and, and that is one of the concerns, is that uh, the influenza virus readily mutates and uh, can spread uh, from 
birds to other mammals, as you've uh, re- reported, and uh, the concern is that it could spread further on, on to humans and uh, uh, form the basis for the, the uh, future pandemic. We have seen spillover events in the past, uh, H1N1 and, and, and the like. This is H5N1, uh, the current uh, virus that's being spread about in uh, Europe and, and North America, and so we're watching that very closely. And there, there have been confirmed human cases of this spread so far with uh, the death of an 11-year-old in Cambodia. I think her father was also um, known to have, have contracted bird flu as well. So are, are cases like that the ones that uh, authorities like yourselves are watching particularly closely? Yes, uh, it, it's been somewhat surprising uh, with uh, hundreds of millions of birds uh, being affected uh, by this virus and the, the widespread spread, uh, spread spillover into other mammals such as mink and seals and foxes and the like, that there's been so little spread into humans. And indeed, the, the virus that's present in Cambodia is different uh, to the, the viruses that are present in North America and uh, uh, the uh, Europe. So it's very important to watch closely the clades and, and to be always testing those viruses to see how they're changing. Mm. And I guess the average person would know and hear the language, you know, virus and different strain more than ever before, given what we've lived through over the last couple of years. And when we talk about viruses mutating and some will be stronger than others and some will be uh, more easily picked up than others, how worried are you about just how quickly it mutates and being able to keep one step ahead of it? Because that's something that we've all learnt to live with over the last couple of years. Yeah, well, there's obviously a number of concerns here. Firstly, the human health concern and whether the virus becomes more adapted to mammals and therefore are better adapted to spread amongst humans. But we're also dealing with the very significant impact that it's having on uh, poultry. Uh, 300 million birds have been destroyed or uh, lost as a consequence of this virus in North America and Europe uh, to date. And uh, the the impact on wildlife, whether that's uh, wild birds and and native birds or or, uh, spillover into native mammals. And in Australia, we've got many iconic uh, native birds here. And if if the virus was to be introduced, there would be a great concern that we uh, would lose uh, some of those birds also. Just to to repeat, 300 million birds already dead or have to be destroyed due to to the spread of this so far? That, that's correct, and uh, it, it's a, a, an event that is without precedent uh, uh, in our, our experience uh, in, across the world. And typically, avian influenza has been seasonal. Uh, that that is, a, it's been largely a, 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 a an event that follows the migra- migration of birds, and it, it's been quite easy to predict. Now, what we're seeing in Europe is, is that it's present every week, and that uh, it, there's no no period of time at, at which the virus is not present. Can you take me back to that the latest outbreak that we had in Australia a few years ago and its impact here? Because obviously this program going around Victoria and Victoria really was a, an area that experienced much of that outbreak, wasn't it? Yes, uh, so we had uh, three uh, consecutive outbreaks uh, occurring in Victoria where we found uh, a number of poultry were infected, then uh, an emu farm and then a, a, a turkey uh, establishment also. 
they they all had uh, different uh, uh, types of, of uh, avian influenza, and and that was quite unusual. But they were introduced uh, through uh, wild birds and, and access uh, of wild birds to poultry establishments, and that that's a, a key message for anybody that keeps poultry is to try and uh, ensure that uh, wild birds don't have access to to the birds themselves, to the to their feed, or to their water, and for for many. Uh, uh, free-range poultry establishments, that, that's quite uh, challenging. Has there been a reluctance in the past for a vaccination when it comes to bird flu? And if so, why? Yes, there has been a reluctance because uh, it would mean that it would greatly complicate international trade. Uh, we, we trade on the basis that we're free from a virus, but if you start to vaccinate uh, with that virus, then anybody that tests that product will see that uh, it has been exposed to that virus. And so that would make uh, surveillance very difficult to, to, for a country to show that it's free of a disease or for uh, uh, trade in, in uh, poultry and poultry products because it would be difficult for the importing country to be satisfied that the exporting country doesn't in fact have the an outbreak and, and not simply the virus uh, in a vaccine. The other uh, challenge is that because it's an influenza, very much like the human influenza, every year the virus would need to the the virus uh, in in the vaccine would need to be updated to reflect uh, the, the current strain. Uh, uh, Chief Vec, Dr. Mark Ship is with you now. We're talking about bird flu and the risk of Australia, risk to Australia, and indeed around the world here on uh, the conversation hour. And Mark Ship, I suppose, what do you do? How how can you prepare? Because when we're talking migratory birds, you can't just put mm. up a big fence around Australia and stop them travelling. And we wouldn't want that anyway. This is how wildlife move around the world. So, what are some of the measures you can take with this latest strain moving around the world? Uh, so what we're doing is stepping up surveillance, uh, so looking at, at uh, those migratory birds as they come into northern Australia and, and we, every year we do trapping on uh, uh, lagoons and, and waterways in the north. And then uh, we, we also uh, are very quick to pick up on any, any public reports of uh, animals that are, are dying or, or sick. So if, if members of the public see uh, dead uh, birds or, or sick birds, they should report that and uh, we, we very quickly uh, investigate those to see whether they're reported to where, influenza. Mark, where's the best place if people are listening to this and you know if they need to monitor their own backyard chickens or some of the wildlife, some of the bird wildlife in the area where they live, if they see something that they think, hang on, that doesn't look quite right, who should they be contacting? Uh, their uh, Department of Agriculture. So if they call into their Department of Agriculture, there's a 1-800 number that's available nationally there also. Uh, also Wildlife Health Australia who, who do the surveillance in uh, wild birds. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Dr Mark Ship. there is the Chief Vet of Australia and texts already was coming in saying, doesn't bird flu only affect free-range chickens? And we're going to speak to uh, lots of people connected and, and within the, the free-range as well as within the cage sector of eggs and egg production. But when you talk about some of those migration birds and a guest that we're going to speak to in just a tick the impacts of climate change and where and how birds migrate and where they would once get to and now where they stop or how climate change affects the pattern of their migration if that bird is infected, that's what you need to start to think about as well. So this is like when we say we don't want to freak people out, but this is a, a global conversation that affects us all. So I was reading, I think, 3% of a particular sea lion colony in Peru has died from 
a bird flu outbreak from from one of these latest strains, Rochelle. One of the concerns about that is um, birds from that area do fly between that area of South America and Antarctica, where there's a large penguin population that could be um, at high risk. Not so. The this is this is some of the things that um, authorities are monitoring around yeah. the world. So when we say, hey, you haven't found the latest strain in Australia or Antarctica yet, it is one of the concerns as things move around. And as you're right, as conditions may be better in some ways due to things like climate change and so forth for some of these um, migration areas to expand, that's where the concerns are. Rochelle Hunt with you. I'm in Melbourne, Warwick Long, your co-host today, joining you from ABC Shepparton. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Warwick Long, joining you from ABC Shepparton. We're trying to get ourselves informed on bird flu today. And was you spoke earlier around how well it was here in 2020. And for many that are closely connected and work within the poultry or within egg production, mm. say, well, it was here. It affected a lot of us. It's just that there was another virus that people's focus was taken with, which was COVID. But we did have bird flu here and quite significantly in just as recent as 2020. Yeah, yeah, we have had, had outbreaks, and when those outbreaks happen, entire farms worth of poultry are destroyed, killed. That's what that means, and and that's why, and that's the effort to try and control the spread of a disease that, as we just heard from the GFET, can have spillover events, and that term spillover event means leaving birds going into mammals in your community or going from birds to mammals to humans or in in some way as well. So that's the the concern and that's why authorities take a spread of this virus so quickly. And just before we move on to Rochelle, the... uh, Chief Ed was saying contact your local agriculture department yes. if you see an outbreak. Agriculture Victoria does have a, a generic number that you can always call with reports of, of anything uh, as well, and that's 136186. So I just thought I should uh, should mention that as well, 136186. Dr Michelle Willey is Australia Research Council Decorate Fellow at the University of Sydney, who also has a cross-appointment with the Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity. Michelle, how concerned are you at the moment? I mean, you've been researching uh, bird flu and avian flu for some time now. Where is your mind at at the moment around just how concerned Victorians should be? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I think myself and most of my colleagues are actually really quite concerned about this virus. Um, We're concerned about what this virus is doing to wild bird populations. We're concerned about what this virus is doing to poultry populations. And of course, we're concerned about the pandemic potential of this virus. and when you when you're concerned about those potentials, what do you what do you mean by that? What are you what are you worried about? So um, most of my research is in the space of wild birds, and what we're actually seeing is that this virus is wiping out entire populations of wild birds. These birds may never recover from this. In many instances, we're actually worried about entire species being affected. Um, and so, for example, you talked about Antarctica before, you know, I think it would be really terrible if this virus got into a place like Antarctica. And we have many endemic birds here in Australia. And of course, it would be terrible if the virus arrived here and killed large proportions of the populations of these birds. So very concerning. So when you say, you know, if it was to reach a pandemic level, I mean, what do you, I mean, we all know the word pandemic now pretty well and what that image conjures up for us. When you're talking about it spreading and wiping out entire species, how likely is that, though? Is this something that, given that we can take control of? So, um, 
you know, in humans, we talk about pandemics, but in animals, we talk about panzootics. And this virus is a panzootic in bird. It is having pandemic-like effects all over the world. Many of the case reports are reporting 20% of entire species disappearing. And it doesn't seem to have any indication of stopping anytime soon. This is the third year of this, um, and we're seeing mortality levels the same as last year and the same as the year before. So there is certainly possibility. We're hoping that immunity will come into bird populations, but at, at this point, um, it, we're very much responsive to outbreaks and um, not much more is happening. So, I mean, we have seen outbreaks of bird flu for decades now. I think Was and I were looking back to what the first case of it was, what 1996 was and uh, around 2003 as well. But, you know, we've even just recently been talking about 2020. This current virus, this current strain, is it worse than others or is it by comparison similar? So you're right. This strain that we're talking about, H5N1, has been around since 1996. And until about 2014, it was highly poultry adapted. That meant it pretty much was only found in chickens. When it spilled over into wild birds, it would cause an outbreak. It would kill all the birds and, and then it would just stop there. Since 2014, we've seen a number of genetic changes in this virus such that when it goes into wild birds, wild birds are able to move it around um, and they might not all die. In 2020, there was another substantial genetic change, um, which likely made it more adapted to wild birds. And it's hypothesized that that's one of the reasons why things are going the way that they're going is because it's no longer self-limiting in wild birds and only found in chickens. We see that wild birds and chickens are now the reservoir. And that does that mean effectively it's it's not dis- disappearing for, for seasons or even years now? It's, it's staying in the communities where infections are? Yeah, absolutely. And so last year was the first year we didn't have really big outbreaks of this virus in the summertime in Europe. In fact, it just moved from waterfowl into new bird groups that it had never affected before. So we saw massive mortalities in seabirds. And then where it would normally pick up again in the autumn in, in um, waterfowl, it just, it just continued. So um, I expect this year will largely be the same. So what types, are there particular groups of of bird species, wild bird species that are at risk here? Yeah, so um, in general for bird flu, uh, most cases have previously occurred in waterfowl. So those are things like ducks um, and sometimes in shradiforms, so things like shorebirds. Um, But the really big concern is that when this virus enters something like seabirds, so seabirds are a group of birds that are really suffering worldwide, they're in decline. And huge numbers of the birds will breed in the same place. So for example, maybe 50% of the population of a seabird species may breed on the same island. So if a virus like high path comes onto that island and wipes out the entire island, that could have really, really big ramifications. So I think we're very, very concerned about seabirds and the effect of seabirds. We're also concerned about other birds that have may, may have really small populations um, that it may not have infected yet. Well, that's what Sir David Attenborough was out documenting and filming with shearwaters and that's the reason why he's been pulled off location at the moment because they were concerned about his health. And 
there was even talk of that potentially being his last on-location documentary, so hopefully that's not the case. There's a text here that says, guys, bird flu only affects chooks running around in paddocks. It's got nothing to do with climate change. Dr Michelle Willey, can I put it to you that it actually does have a lot to do with climate change or climate change could have an impact on whether or not bird flu gets to Australian shores, given that we do know now that a lot of seabirds and their migration paths are altered and changed as a result result of climate change so that they end up nesting in places they previously wouldn't. Yeah, so I think climate change can have an impact. We don't really have a lot of data on the role of climate change on bird flu. But what I would like to say is that climate is actually a really key and important indicator for bird flu in Australia. So studies done by my colleagues have found that after years that um, are really rainy, so um, La Nina years, the likelihood of outbreaks are higher. These um, climactic um, effects also dictate where birds migrate and how birds migrate. And so the effect of climate um, is actually really important in Australia. It's been less well studied anywhere else in the world, but we definitely know that it's important here. So I suppose as we look then towards the the next few months ahead and keeping an eye on the the spread of the virus, what are you watching? What are the important things to to watch from here on the spread of bird flu and it possibly coming to Australia? So um, the wild birds have a pretty predictable pattern of migration in that they tend to go north to spend the summers in the northern hemisphere and then they fly south again to spend the next summer in the southern hemisphere. And so currently a lot of migratory birds are in Australia and in the next few months they're going to be migrating north. Our big concern is in September when these migratory birds are returning south. They may be nesting in places where there isn't a lot of bird flu, but between places like Russia and Australia, there are bird flu hotspots all through China, all through Southeast Asia. And these are places where the Mm. birds are stopping to rest on their way. So our high risk period is going to be between September and December this year. Behind the scenes, how much work is being done by government agencies, by researchers like yourself, tracking watching, uh, maybe hoping for more funding or discussing vaccinations. How much work behind the scenes is going on at the moment to try and keep our wildlife safe here? So we actually have a national program um, in Australia that does um, avian influenza surveillance. And this program comprises all the state labs as well as researchers um, and colleagues from the poultry industry. And so part of this program, we have been for many, many years doing surveillance um, to test for bird flu. Myself and my colleague um, do heightened surveillance sort of during that high risk period. So we went out last year and collected about a thousand samples from birds returning from migration between September and December. And we will continue that work moving forward. We're also in the process of doing risk assessments um, for Australia to understand sort of the risk pathways for how the virus might arrive here. And we're also working with many of the labs to look at capacity for response. So if the virus arrives, what are we going to do about it? And does everyone have the resources they need to move forward? So there's actually a lot going on. This has been on our radar 
um, for a few years with um, a lot more work starting last year. Um, and so we're definitely keeping a really close eye on the situation. Denise has sent this text saying, Hi, I live on a part of the surf coast that has a regular visit from mutton birds on their way further south. Often a number of them wash up due to a multitude of reasons. I imagine this could be a concern given where they originate on this journey, question mark, says Denise. Michelle, could do you, would you have an answer for Denise on that or something that she should be looking for here? So that's a great observation, Denise. And mutton birds were actually included in our heightened surveillance last year because these birds are coming from Beringia. They're coming from places where there definitely is bird flu. Of course, as Denise mentioned, they do die for a number of reasons. We know, for example, plastic pollution is a really big problem for mutton birds. But I think given that we're moving into a high-risk period now of bird flu, it would be really great if you could report any dead birds that you find. Um, as Mark Ship said, that there are a number of phone numbers that you can use. There is an emergency animal hotline that you can call. You can just Google that. It's on the Wildlife Health Australia website. And someone will come and test those birds. And I think it's pertinent that we really start doing that. Which was that hotline again? Sorry. So it's the em- emergency animal disease hotline. Um, so if you go to the Wildlife Health Australia website, it should be right on the front page of the website. Um, and I'm pretty sure if you Google it, you should get there. You could, of course, also call Agriculture Victoria, as mentioned yeah. on this program, um, or the Department of Agriculture. It's such important work that you do. And I'm, you know, I'm always just so relieved and impressed when you meet researchers like yourself, Michelle, that behind the scenes are working tirelessly to make sure that everything's okay. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. Dr. Michelle Willey there is a part of the Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity. And that number, the Emergency and Animal Disease Watch hotline is one 800 675 one eight hundred six seven five triple eight, and was I actually did a, a program towards the end of last year, so people can go back through the Conversation Hour podcast on seabirds and the importance of seabirds in this country. And Michelle there mentioned plastic pollution and how that affects our seabirds as well. So you know, if this is a topic that's really interesting you, I swear, hand on heart, that seabird show that I did is was one of the most fascinating, heartbreaking programs that I've ever done. When we talk about oh seabirds, I'm not connected to those and yet when everything we consume every minute of our lives has the potential of ending up in the stomachs of those birds you will start to see that our actions have a huge impact on all wildlife but in particular our our seabirds and that text from denise around mutton birds was just so insightful yes certainly so but also I was sitting here, you and I, Rochelle, going, we just need to be informed on this. This is a virus spreading around the world. We need to be informed. And reading this morning, the World Health Organization saying, uh, the situation is worrying. I'm using the air quotes there. And you and you go, okay, okay, but we, we don't want to be alarmist. And then you hear that an expert in birds in this area get come on the program and say, I'm actually really concerned about what this means for individual populations of wildlife around the world because they come together at a time when they could be spreading this disease amongst each other. It is does make it worth something that we should be probably keeping a bit of a tighter eye on, really. Well, that's right. And, you know, we hear the term citizen scientist all the time now, don't we? And I I guess that's the role that we all play now. So if you do notice something, if you do notice a sick bird or if you notice something different with a bird population, wherever it is that you live and you spend time in whatever waterway it is, then, you know, report it. Again, that number, 1-800-675-888. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. 
Well, we are trying to inform ourselves around bird flu at the moment and how it can potentially affect us all from our health to the cost to the economy as well as some of the availability and the cost of some produce as well. And the thing with eggs was is for a lot of people, especially when times get tight financially, eggs are the staple and the staple of protein that is affordable. And I always know myself, right? if there are eggs in the fridge, then everything's okay. <laughs> You always have a meal. Yeah, yeah. There will always be a meal. And so there are concerns about how it will affect both the egg production industry as well as chickens. You would have been in trouble then in North America earlier this year too, Rochelle, because because of bird flu outbreaks and, and massive culls of animals and so forth, there were literally no eggs on the shelves. There were jokes that it was the most valuable thing in the economy, not the, the cheap protein source. And that's because of a disease outbreak like this. And it actually makes for uncomfortable questions about our food production systems and also discussions about how we should feel about where our food is produced and how well protected our industry is against a disease that can literally fly in over the fence. Brian Ahmed is the former president of the VFF Egg Group and very passionate in this space and can join you on the program now. Brian, are you watching all the the reports of bird flu around the world uh, as closely as what some of the, the experts have been talking about earlier today? Yeah, thank you, Warwick, and thank you, Rachel, for the opportunity to say something. But, yeah, I have been watching it for oh, three three years now and uh, look at it closely because as commercial egg farmers, it is a concern to us. And um, bird flu is not new to this um, country. I mean, we only just had a major outbreak back in 2020 here in Victoria where we lost over 600,000 birds. So... Um, we are watching it closely every day. The 2020 outbreak, I feel like that has gone on under most people's radars because obviously of what was happening at the very beginning of COVID. Yes. Do you feel like you're getting the support that you need now? And does the industry feel like it's getting the support that it needs now to ensure that an outbreak doesn't happen here again? No, I, I think um, people are, are probably not aware of the risks involved, especially a lot of research shows that the wild bird population carries the AI virus and it, it is an infectious viral disease that spreads quite rapidly. But it's not the only one that as egg farms that we're concerned about. There's a number of other diseases like fowlpox or infectious bronchitis as well. So, it, you know, we know migratory birds carry these diseases and they're due every year on our shores annually and I think it was said earlier between September and November are the high risk times and they can reintroduce this virus back into especially our commercial flocks nowadays because we're running more free-range birds and you know no matter how good a, uh, your biosecurity is on a farm you can't control wild birds mixing with your um, with your domestic flocks. You mentioned free range there. Why is that more at risk compared to uh, chickens inside barns? Well, it's very simple, Morik. They're outdoors, so they have more opportunity to mix with wild birds. So this is how the, the disease spreads when they, they drop onto a, uh, fly onto a farm and defecate on a property. Chickens are, are scavengers. They like to scratch and, and eat whatever they can pick up. So... You know, this is how the, the, the disease spreads. But when we've got them locked up in sheds and people tend to, you know, discredit the caged egg industry, but, you know, we 
the industry got out of cages back in the 70s because we had these diseases back then and we knew how to control them. But, of course, now more people want free range and we, we do produce more free range. But it's a numbers game. More birds out in the open, more risk of the disease. And we'll speak to a, a free range farmer in just a moment. But just finally, Brian, a lot of the times, I guess, with issues like this, the fear can create pattern and behaviour changes. And there'll be lots of people who may be unfortunately be thinking, oh, I don't think it's safe to eat eggs at the moment. or I don't think it's safe to eat chicken at the moment. Over the years, when we've seen different strains of bird flu come in and out, does it affect uh, the amount of products that we buy, even if it's not here or if it's not affecting us in any way? Yeah, oh, look, it does. People, um, when they're not sure, they'll tend to go off products. But one thing you can be sure about is the commercial egg industry is uh, very well uh, managed and we as farmers understand the risks and we know our obligations and if we we see anything happen we report it fairly quickly and that's where the domestic um, farmers also need to know you know the ones that have a few chooks in their backyard they need to be aware if there's you know a chook dies it's, you just don't ignore the fact it died you need to find out where so we report any issues we have to our vets and we we control it fairly quickly and this is why that's that last outbreak in victoria was controlled very quickly because the commercial farmers saw the concerns and reported it and we um we had to cull the birds very quickly as an industry but um at least we stopped the spread and we we saved the whole industry because of it and Brian, just I suppose to, to finish here, we've seen the egg shortages in other parts of the world due to a lot of the culling because of yes. bird flu outbreaks. Uh, we are a, a bigger free-range industry now in Australia because of consumer-led push for change as well as supermarkets pushing to change. Yes. Were we wrong to do that given it's heightened the risk of disease now to these chickens? I wouldn't say wrong. I'd say we need we need it. Um, all our farming system, it's the way we can guarantee food security and affordability for all Australian families. So this is why the industry has been fighting government and animal activist groups. I mean, they don't like chickens in cages, but it's it's how we control disease and how we can control food security for all Australian families. And that's the most important part. There's nothing wrong with free range either. We need free range as well and barn but we need a, a percentage of each to make sure that we've got food all year round. Good to hear from you, Brian. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you very See much. Um, Brian Ahmed is the former president of the VFF Egg Group and we'll speak to a, a free-range farmer in just a moment. Some interesting questions who we'll put to the chief vet of the RSPCA a little later in this program as well. But Mike sent a question talking about duck hunting and whether or not it's safe to potentially eat infected ducks. I've got backyard chooks. Is it safe to eat their eggs if you suspect bird flu? Mike, they are two very good questions. I've got an answer for you on that really from some of the, the research, but we'll get it confirmed from the RSPCA later in the program but people catch the virus when human transition uh, transmission is still difficult but people catch the virus from close contact with live poultry infected or birds infected with the disease not through eating eggs 
or poultry. So you don't, it's going to what you were saying before, Rochelle, people stop eating thinking it's a way to protect yourself, but that's not where you catch the virus. You catch it from being at close uh, contact with infected birds. And that's why David Attenborough was told probably not a good idea to go sit in the middle of all these shearwaters at your age with the risk factor of bird flu spreading throughout that part of the world at the moment. Tamsin Murray is from Josh's Rainbow Eggs, is the director and the mum of Josh. And you're a free-range egg uh, farm, Tamsin. In terms of concern or how prepared you are at the moment, the amount of information you're receiving, how much of discussion time it's taking up either within your business or around your dinner table, is it something that's of high concern to you? Um, Well, hi. Hi, Rochelle. How are you? It's actually interesting that uh, there was a bit of a coincidence because we, you know, we're quite, we're growing quite a bit and we're building sheds and um, our NAB agribusiness business manager, um, you know, we were looking at our debt levels because it's really expensive building sheds and you know, it's pretty capital intensive. And, you know, they cited AI as, you know, obviously a risk factor for us and our debt levels. So that was, I mean, that's another way to look at it. I mean, obviously we're concerned in terms of our, you know, our hens, but, you know, having had the AI in 2020, I think it's, you know, it is actually on the minds of, yeah. The bank. <laughs> because, yeah, right. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, and not, and it was sort of quite ironic because I was having a conversation with our banker, who you know we've been banking with NAB for a long time, and um, yeah, so it's um, and then you guys sent me a text saying, "We're not wanting to freak anyone out." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we haven't been speaking to your bank manager, that's for sure. But <laughs> yeah, Tamsin. Yeah, but the sheds are important, though, aren't they? Because even if you're uh, if you've got free range eggs, uh, if there's mm-hmm. an outbreak, the chief vet can order free range chickens to be effectively locked yeah. inside for a period of time to stop the spread. Oh, so right. you need somewhere for chooks if there's an outbreak, not even on your farm, but nearby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well. I mean, I mean, I watch. You know, obviously, the 2020 was. Was because we're we're not. I mean, we're not that close, but we're we're like an hour and a half from Geelong. So um, you know, you're aware that obviously the disease is in the area, and I think, you know, f- for us, the, I mean, you you know, you think about biosecurity a lot, and you think about people coming onto your farm. I mean, obviously, you have, you know, if if the, there's a duck on your farm, you don't have any control over that, but what you can control is, you know, is people coming onto the farm. And so, um, you know, we have a very sort of strict policy in terms of what goes out to the sheds. However, you know, the other side of it is it's it's tough being living in a state of fear. So, you know, I what we do is we focus on what we can control and, and we do that really well. We train our staff. But I, I really like having people visit our farm because that's sort of part of, what I enjoy, um, and I mean the other side of it too is is when you look at risk factors, it's often not just it's not really the public. It's actually often people who've been to other farms and contractors. So you really focus on the people that are the higher risk or vehicles that have been on other mm. farms. So, and I guess that's very similar. Yeah. You know when we're talking about foot and mouth disease as well, and mm. you know when you talk about how it can be 
either brought on to, to your property or how it can be transmitted in some way. Tamsin, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We know how busy you are and that, you know, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. You talk about people being uh, on your farm and a big part of it is you have schools. You know, you have tour groups from primary <laughs> schools come to you because education is, is a big part of what you do. So yeah. will, that, will you have to stop or postpone doing things like that for a little while? Well, I mean, I hope not. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd be, you know, I'd listen to the advice of experts if they really thought it was a risk. But, you know, for me, you know, 110 school kids from Sunbury coming to visit our farm. I mean, we, we put boot covers on them when they went into the shed and we did, a, you know, we did some biosecurity measures Um but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know. You, you sort of, it is a bit of a, a balance. <laughs> yeah. risk, Who's risk harder to wrangle there. into one spot? A hundred and ten primary school kids well, or a hundred and ten chickens? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, the funny thing was, is Josh had fifty, and I took the other fifty to the grading room, and every child wanted to pick up a hen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the fun part. You're so. a braver woman than I am, Tamsin. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no, my pleasure, Rochelle. Tamsin you. Murray there from Josh's Rainbow Eggs. And, I mean, that was her son that, that set up, as a very young boy, set up mm. that family business. And it's interesting to hear Tamsin talking about, well, if you want your business to to grow and if you need something like more sheds in order to do that, then the reaction that you're going to get from your financiers, from your bank, to say, well, I'm not too sure how secure, how viable, how protected is your industry? Yeah, certainly. And this is something that people like banks and and i've just spent this week at abares as well um, which is like the government ag nerd nirvana you like me mentioning that to you don't I, you, do. I don't even know what it is now all, once upon a time i've been like you're where you're what <laughs> all the numbers from government on agriculture are put out right every nearly every session was mentioning emissions or environmental sustainability as the like one of the major important things in agriculture and banks are talking about lending even on reports on on it and advice on that area and you can see you know diseases in agriculture exactly sitting on that level as well these are the things that you need to weigh up if you're wanting money for for a business and agriculture is big business it is a big industry in australia dr bronwyn oak is the chief vet of the rspca lots of really interesting and, and thoughtful questions bronwyn coming through and two that we were just mentioning was duck hunting and whether or not it's you know safe to eat possibly infected ducks but also the concern that people might have around their backyard chooks you know, we're talking about large to medium-sized scale egg production and, and chicken farms, but lots of people now have chickens in their backyard. How concerned or how prepared should people be? Look, it's a really, really valid concern. My brother has chooks um, and they're the excellent producers of eggs and they're a really, really core cool part of the family, really. Um, I guess one of the, the big things that we need to be making sure is, and Tamsin's got the right idea with this biosecurity, but we can hone that in into a backyard sort of level. And some of those things are as simple as making sure that we have safe and secure um, water and feeding systems for our children. Mm. Um, so we don't want to be having wild ducks, a, a big dams, for instance, where our, ch- our chooks can go and, and drink from. We, we want to be having the, a more secure area for them to drink. And one of the reasons is we don't want this cross-contamination. So we know that Feces are a major route of um, spread of the disease, but there are also aerosols. So um, certainly if a neighbouring farm, if something less than three kilometres around you did contract AI, then you'd be concerned that your your chickens could actually get it. Um, but keeping your feed and keeping, um, keeping your water supply clean and away from wild birds is probably one of the key messages that backyard, backyard um, owners can deal with. 
that really is the big theme, isn't it? If you mm. are not letting everything eat from the same point or get water from the same point, you're at a better stage to protect your own animals from that disease. Yeah, we want to reduce that mixing pot of disease. And just on this too, it's interesting that governments around the world are looking at this. So in the UK, now they've, they've got a plan where people register their backyard chicken it's a two, um, so that the government knows where they are with the spread of the disease. I thought we'd discuss that here at some point. Weren't yeah. we talking about having a backyard registry, Bronwyn, for, for backyard chooks? I haven't actually heard of that one. Mm. Um, so it's it's an interesting idea. I don't, don't know how you would control it. Um, Bag's not doing be, that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty big job. <laughs> but more and more of us do have it. I mean, and again, looking to overseas, the idea of a vaccination lots of people hadn't really, they discredited the idea of a vaccination being helpful. Where does the RSPCA sit on a vaccine? I don't think we have an official stance. There's two real ways you could go about it. One of the problems with the vaccination, as we, as we all have become a bit more aware with COVID, is that vaccines don't necessarily stop disease. What they can do is stop you from actually expressing or getting really sick from the disease process. So if we do vaccinate our, our hands and our chooks, then what we could do is have a number of asymptomatic chickens going around that are spreading disease. Now this can cause a lot of issues for our, our native wildlife, particularly the black swan, which is highly susceptible to avian influenza. Um, and we, and it also has some biosecurity issues if people want to be exporting um, that there's a lot of countries that won't actually accept vaccination animals. On the other hand, it does reduce the disease um, and the, and may reduce the mixing pot. Um, and the mixing pot is something that we, we really worry about, not only amongst birds, um, but when the different types of, of strains of influences mix, because that's how it can get um, into some of the, the more serious pandemic type viruses. Is that what makes this so hard to manage when you're talking about the vaccine? It, I don't, it'd be really hard to vaccinate wild bird populations, mm, I'd imagine. And then, yeah, you then you've got pets yeah. and you've got agriculture. And, and because they're mixing and interacting with each other, that makes it such a difficult conundrum, really. Exactly. It would be, you'd, you might protect your own animals, but what you wouldn't be protecting is the wild animals. And then those wild animals could then go on and spread it. Um, and you wouldn't know where where patient zero started and with that um with these pandemics you want to know where patient zero started and unfortunately culling is what happens a lot in a lot of these situations because it's a very effective way of controlling disease and when we have had outbreaks in australia that that's how we've controlled them um but if you if you did have these chickens that were vaccinated and not showing any signs then you would be very hard for the the district veterinarian to actually be able to identify where we actually are, where the source material is coming from and the fact you know that our black swans they are just so beautiful and in researching and preparing for today's show and so many every all of the researchers all of the vets like yourself Bronwyn the black swan is of high concern to to a lot of people has that always been the case when it comes to bird flu or just this particular strain we don't know particularly why they're susceptible. It is bird flu in, in particular that they're susceptible to. It's not necessarily this particular strain. There are so many different strains. Um, in Australia, we tend to have the low pathogenic ones, and we do pretty strong surveillance in Australia on that, and we know that there's about a, a 2%, uh, 2 wild, wild population that carries a very low pathogenic. And when I say pathogenic, I mean uh, likely to spread disease around strain. Um, so we do know that the black swan seems to, for some reason, not have a lot of resistance to it. And when they do contract it, they do tend to express that in, in higher levels of illness and higher levels mm. of death. Yeah. Oh, it's not how I wanted to enter the program, but <laughs> unfortunately it is how we are. Dr. Bronwyn Oak, thanks so much for your time.
Thank you. It's the Chief Vet at the RSPCA. And Warwick Long, given that I've got a couple of boiled eggs that I brought in <laughs> today that are sitting in the fridge. Fridays I get really lazy when it comes to lunch, so I always have boiled eggs on toast for lunch on a Friday and they're sitting in the fridge waiting for me and oh, I dear. feel fine about that. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine to eat them. You're fine to eat poultry. You're fine to eat eggs, uh, even if there is an outbreak in, in our area. What we have learnt, though, is they may become more scarce depending on where that outbreak is and what it affects. And these are what makes our food system so fragile, right? They're pests and diseases, and we're dealing with, with animals. We're dealing with growing conditions. We're dealing with weather. And uh, we've seen that well, affect our supermarket shelves quite a lot lately. So if you've seen a bird and you think that something is different or you feel like it needs to be reported, that number again for the Emergency Animal Disease Watch hotline is one eight hundred six seven five triple eight. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.